When you go to bed at night and you start to drift off to sleep, some of you, it takes 2.7 seconds and you're out like a light. Other people, it takes a while and you toss and turn. But what do you do in those last minutes? Some people pray. Was your brain going crazy? You think all over the place. They have this thing, you know, they always say, well, if you can't go to sleep, count sheep, whatever that meant. But, but I'm wondering, and the, we've been talking about this with this whole Uniquely His series. We've been talking and using the life of King David. I wonder when he closed his eyes at night if he counted sheep. It's kind of what he was used to growing up. In those moments before, between that wakefulness and that sleep, Maybe David reverted back in his mind and he was a shepherd all over again out there in the backside in the wilderness. But when he opened his eyes, he was in a king's bed. It was his bed. Inside a king's palace, his palace. I would say, though, that he never took the dream or his life for granted. Let's read something here that we're gonna kick off and and bounce from. 2 Samuel 7, 18 through, I think, 22. Let's read some verses here. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, he was praying to God, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Verse 19, and and this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Verse 20, and what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these things to make thy servant known, to make thy servant know them. Last verse, verse 22. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God. There's none like thee. Neither is there any God beside, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Have you ever had a moment Almost like a, can I, maybe let me say it, like like almost like an out-of-body experience when you saw yourself in a way that you've never seen yourself before. Or you've done something that just (laughs) almost fascinates yourself. You've, someone maybe even says something to you or about you that you've never even noticed about yourself. Whether big or small or that spiritual or not or life-changing or not, I'll never forget we were in the old church down there on Shackelford and we were in the back area, the prayer room that doubled up as a classroom and it was the marriage class and it was a Sunday morning and Brother Johnston taught that class and we would always go to that class and he was teaching different things. Obviously, I didn't do, learn too much on the marriage class, sorry, but uh, so that we, we were in that class and he was talking about different personalities and he was talking about introverts and extroverts and it's kind of when all that stuff, I first got into it and was hearing about it and, and, and I, remember, I, I remember saying, to, you know, we were all discussing stuff in class, and I said, I just, I said, I, I, um, 
I don't remember how I worded exactly what I said, but something about being around people. I like to be around people or, or something like that. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, I don't think that's true. He said, I think you're an introvert. And so I got thinking about that. And it was one of those times where it was something was revealed to me I mean, some of you are horrified, like, well, that was obnoxious. No, it was life-changing to me because I realized something about myself that I had never seen before. I can't stand to be by myself, but I only want to be with certain people I want to be with. Sorry. But I pushed myself, and I think we all have to do that, get outside of our comfort zones. We push ourselves into certain areas. But it was something I learned about myself that was almost like this, what? I've lived with myself. You haven't even known me that long yet. You were able to discern that in me. And, some, and it just popped in my mind. Those are those times that just almost amaze you in, in all of those. There's been times, and, and forgive me, I got the mic, and I, I'm myself, so I'm the only story I know sometimes. But in counseling, I'll be talking to somebody in counseling, and, and I'll be talking to them, and all of a sudden, I will just say something to them and after I'm said it, I'm just like, where in the, I want a pen. I need to write that thing down. That was brilliant. It's like, where did that come from? And I understand it's the Holy Ghost moving and giving me wisdom on certain areas, but it was something, it shocked me that I did that. And so there's times even, I remember a few Sunday mornings ago, I was teaching the Bible class here and and I have, I've heard these two scriptures a thousand times and I was just teaching and teaching and I, and we were, I was talking about something and I said something like, you know, the Bible's talking about that Moses said, you know, the pleasures of sin for a season. The thing is, if sin wasn't pleasurable at all, it would, nobody would ever sin, but it's the pleasure of sin, but it's just a season. And then the next phrase that came out of my mouth was, but at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I just stopped and I was like, and I just kept on teaching. And when I got done, I hurried up and went up to my office and put that in to make sure that that's what the Word of God says. And it does. I thought, why have my brain never connected those two before? But in that moment, in that time, evidently, the Holy Ghost worked and just revealed that in some way. And it, was, it shocked me that that came out of me from somewhere. You've been in those situations You've been in those where it was just almost, wow, what just happened and how did that happen? And so this, I think, is one of those times and one of those moments for David where he went in before the Lord and he was like, Lord, how did I get here? What in the world? How did this even happen? When I close my eyes, I'm on the back 40 among a bunch of stinky sheep. But when I open my eyes, I'm in this palatial place with all of this royalty. How did this happen to me? He was astounded at that. And this is the question, though, that he asked. He said, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what's my family that you brought me this far? The last member of his family, the least in his family, has become the most powerful person in Israel. Relegated to shepherd's duty, now wearing a king's crown. David can hardly believe 
who he's become. The journey of self-discovery, and, and, and we've talked about this, and I don't want to get too far out where people are like, what in those worlds? Name, you know, stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself who you are. None of this new agey stuff. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about doing some archaeological digs on ourselves to find out who we truly are. And so this moment, this, this time of this journey of self-discovery begins with the question of who am I? But hear me out, even more important than asking the question of who am I, it's who you're asking it about and who you're asking the question to. You can direct that question to a lot of people in your life and you're probably going to get a lot of answers and a lot of different answers. If David had asked his dad, his dad might have said, well, he's a shepherd is what he is. His own father didn't see the potential. I, I still, I wish I was there. I cannot get this in my mind where Samuel came to the house. Bring all your sons. We're going to anoint a king. And then Samuel's like, God said, none of these are it. And so Samuel has to, or, yeah, Samuel has to say to Jesse, do you happen to have another kid somewhere? What is that about? You forgot you had a kid. You, you were ashamed of him. I still, I can't, I wish I knew the answer. It drives me crazy. I think part of it was, well, there is no way of all these boys, there's no way David would be the king. So we're just not even going to mess with him. That's what his dad thought. His brothers were no better. He was just an errand boy to them. Did what his dad said and brought them cheese and stuff. And they said, we know the naughtiness of your heart. What are you doing? Just come out here to spy on us is all you're doing. Just give us the stuff and get back home and watch the sheep. Just an errand boy. And then word got around that David's like, I'll who is this mouthy guy? I'll fight him. I'll fight him. And so when he came into Saul, what's, who's this boy? He's just a little boy to Saul comes out there with just a slingshot heading for the, heading for the giant. And the Goliath said, is this a joke? He's bird food to me. I'm going to feed you to the birds. None of them saw who David could become. But here's the kicker on this. David does not direct the question to any of them. He asks God, who am I? Who am I? When was the last time you sat in the presence of God and asked God that question? If you want to discover who you truly are because you're made in the image of God, you are made by God, he knows you better than you know yourself. If you truly want to know and discover who you are and your destiny and your purpose and your potential, you must spend time in the presence of God. He's the only one that can tell you who you truly are. I said this a few weeks ago and let me repeat it. It's only when you seek God that you'll find yourself. 
If you're constantly looking for yourself and who am I and all this stuff, you'll never find yourself. Seek God, you'll find who you are. Put him as the number one in your life. Seek him. It's easy to feel unimportant or even somewhat insignificant when there are billions of people roaming the face of the planet. But here's what you have to understand. You were made in the image of God. You are irreplaceable. You are invaluable. I know of people who have several children and they'll say, somebody asks you, you know, how in the world, do you love all your kids the same? And sometimes people answer, oh yes, absolutely. I love them all the same. I love them all dearly and stuff. Really the, 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 Something like, well, which one are we talking about here? Uh, really, the answer is, I think you would agree with me for those who have multiple children. Do you love all your children the same? The answer is no. To the same degree, yes, you love them with your whole heart. I get that. But you don't love them the same because they're all unique you love them in different ways according to who they are. So here's the thing about this. God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. Okay, now listen. Why is that true? Because there is only one of us. God loves you differently than he loves me. Not to degrees, but I'm different than you. And he loves me different than he loves me, than he loves you in different ways. He loves, his love for us is unlike his love for anybody else on the face of the planet. Put that in your mind and start wrestling that down. Because when that happens, all of a sudden, Billions of people begin to take such a, what's the old song, grow, grow dim, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In the light of that knowledge of he loves me for who I am. And it's unlike any other person. And so your uniqueness, who you are as an individual, your uniqueness isn't just a gift from God. It is your gift to God also. Because it's that uniqueness that allows you to do things and to worship God in a way that nobody else can worship God. He's created you for you and it's only you and nobody else. And so everybody in the sanctuary can be rocking with the choir and dancing. But my dance is different to him than anybody else's on the face of the planet. My praise to him is different than anybody else's praise on the planet. Because I'm uniquely his. I'm not like anybody else. You're not like anybody else. So getting back to this idea of this, this self-discovery, it always leads to one of two directions, okay? Here's what happens. 
It either leads to self-worship or worship of God because we're created to worship. But if you don't acknowledge uniqueness as a gift from God, then self-discovery will translate into an overinflated ego. Because then, okay, I'm going to say a statement. You're going to have to hear it out because if not, you're going to think I've lost my mind here. I can pass, I, I had the phrase in my head and I lost it. I can pastor this church like nobody else can pastor this church. Okay? Now, on one hand, it's just like, you're right. Try it. Try it. You think you're so smart. I'll come up here and you try this. That's a self-inflated ego. But coming from the other way is there's nobody else like me. And the congregation says, thank God. But there's nobody else like me. Nobody else could possibly pastor this church like I pastor this church. Because you're not me. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm not saying I do a better job than anybody else. Anybody else could do numbers of different things and probably better. My point is, you understand what I'm saying. That's where it can divide into two ways, where we could have this overinflated ego of, well, nobody else, nobody can sing like I can sing. You're exactly right. And for some of us, we're so thankful. Nobody can sing like you can sing. Yes, in one, that is true. That's a truth. That is not, if you come with humility, that's not a braggadocious statement. That's a statement of saying, I am unique in his image. And so it's not an overinflated ego. Because if that's the case, pride will short circuit anything God ever wants to do in your life. And he won't share his glory with any, any other. But however, if you see your uniqueness as a gift from God to be stewarded, then it leads to a life of worship to him. Nobody can sing to him like you can sing to him. That's why we have the praise team and the choir up here and all the congregation and people are singing. It's still very important you sing to him because nobody can sing to him like you can sing to him. Well, I'm off key. It's beautiful in his ears. Nobody can sing like you can sing. Nobody can worship. We're going to have to get that in our, our heads because then it's not an it's not a overinflated ego of me. Well, nobody can do it like I can do it. No, nobody can do it like I can do it. But it's because of him that I give that to him. And that's my gift back to him and my worship to him. And that builds in us somewhat. We talked a few weeks ago about this holy confidence that I have a purpose. I have a plan. God looked at the entire universe and he made all this creation. And then he said, you know what would help this creation? If I made a Mitchell Bland. That's not a pat on my back. That's not a puff my chest out in some ego. That's an, an, an just a an humbling thing before Almighty God that he needed me and wanted me in his creation. And so that's why if we can look at that, it's such a holy confidence and such a, going back to even our other series of Jesus loves me. He really knows who I am and he loves me. What an assurance I can have in that and what a comfort I can take in that. David 
sitting there before the Lord, he doesn't celebrate himself. Yeah, I was just a shepherd and everybody thought I was just the shepherd. I'm the boss man now. He didn't say that. He went in and sat before the Lord and said, oh Lord, who am I? I? What in the world? You have been good to me, been good to my family. How in the world? And then that last verse I read, he said, therefore, you're great, oh God. This is not my doing. This is your doing. You deserve the glory. You deserve the praise. Your true identity and your true destiny is so multidimensional. The older I get, the more I study, the more people I work with, different things, people will come to me and they'll ask me this, they'll ask me a question. And I will just look at them and I'll say, okay. I said, I'm gonna try to answer this. And I say this so many times. I said, but we as human beings are so complex. It's very, very difficult to just, well, this is what you do. If your wife yells at you, it's exactly what you do. Well, there's no answer like that. Because if my wife ever yells at me, I'm gonna have a heart attack because she don't raise her voice for anything. And so it, my sisters yell at me, it's just like, shut it. You know, it's just totally different. <laughs> I mean, it's a totally different how you relate to people. And so we're so, so you can't just, very, I, I always try to put all these disclaimers on everything I say now, just in case it's wrong or you go to jail, it's not my fault, I'm just giving a suggestion. <laughs> but we're just so multidimensional. Because I've mentioned this also, but it's, it's not, you see me standing here with all my Christmas weight on, but it's who I was, it's who I am, and it's who I'm becoming is standing here. It's who I was as a one-year-old and a two and a three-year-old and a four and a five. The skin doesn't fit any longer. The words are different than they were back then. But still inside of here is everything that ever has transpired in my life who has made me right here. But it's right here in the present. But now that's the future because I snapped my fingers. Now that's the past. I mean, and that... So now that's the past. And so everything, and now we're going into the future, is so multidimensional. And so it's sometimes we, we get our brains wrapped around, and we, or we don't get our brains wrapped around this, and we're trying to think, what am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to become? What am I supposed to do? And, and I think we're supposed to strive, and I think we're supposed to go towards the Lord, and I think we're supposed to commit, and all of those things, and we have a destiny. I've been preaching about that and trying to build confidence in people that you are somebody that Jesus loves you, and you can do great things in him, and that's all wonderful. But as long as we're still clothed in flesh... I think to a degree we're unable to see the pure majesty and mystery of who we truly are. But I do believe it will be revealed one day. Let me read a verse, Revelation 2.17. Now, when I start preaching out of Revelation, you know I've lost my marbles because I, you know. Revelation 2.17. But I'm gonna go slow May get corrected after church, but here we go. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, 
I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. Some people mean it's purity and some people mean it means an entrance into something like a ticket. But watch this. And in the stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, but he that receives it. I'll know my new name when he calls my name. You've heard the old adage, it's it's not the number of breaths we take that makes life worth living. It's the number of things that take our breath away. So there's times that you're standing, I read a, I read a, a story, this, this, this guy and his, his family, they went out to the Grand Canyon and I, I've, I've flown over it, I've never been, but uh, there's a, evidently there on one of the rims, there's this uh, hotel or something and he said he, he, they were coming in this hotel and there's just all this glass on this, inside of this, this huge atrium and it overlooks kind of, you can see down the Grand Canyon. He said, they were coming in he said, me and my son, he said, we were carrying stuff and we looked up at the same time. He said, literally, he said, it felt like two hours we stood there. He said, we could not speak. He said, we were just, he said, it was the most beautiful thing I have ever in my life. He said, it literally took words away from us. He said, it was unbelievable to look at that. You know, here goes my imagination. But I think heaven will consist of countless moments like that. See awe-inspiring sights. Have you ever thought of this in the Old Testament? I, I, and I meant to look it up and I apologize. I think it's one of the minor prophets. He was talking about, he said there was, he saw a vision. He said there was, there was uh, rumbling in the streets and chariots going like lightning and, and lanterns on them. And I don't know, but it's possibly he saw an interstate and cars real fast and the headlights on them. How would you, okay, <laughs> getting quirky here, but Make up a new letter of the alphabet. Have you ever tried to do that? Because every time you start to make a new letter of the alphabet, it sounds like one of the old letters of the alphabet. How do you make a new letter of the alphabet? So sometimes there's things that we, I think in the Old Testament, even in, even in Revelation, he, he talks about locusts that came out and had a sting on the back and their, their sounds was as many chariots or whatever, something like that. He probably maybe saw helicopters. Well, how would he describe, he'd never seen anything mechanical in his life. How would you describe that? So sometimes I think of that in terms of how do you think of something that you don't know to think about? <laughs> Okay, I'm just up here. I'm t- I need counseling. Anyway, but my thought is, what will heaven be like? Because I don't even know what to think about, to think about it, to, to, to imagine it, to dream about it, because I, there's nothing in there to dream about because it ain't there yet. What sounds will we hear? What aromas will we smell? And the greatest moment, I agree, and I think you would agree with me, and I believe in eternity, is when I see Jesus. I, 
Will I stand there a thousand years? Just He's the one that I want to see. He's been good to me. He's, he's, he's the one I pray to and the one I, who, who helps me and the one I love and I, I want to see him. And I think that will be beautiful. But maybe a close second will be when, according to this Revelation 2.17, when he calls me by my new name, and I'll know it. Nobody else knew that name was mine, but he did because he knows who I am. And maybe in that moment, my entire life will make sense because God will reveal who I truly am when he calls my new name. Did you have difficulty naming your children? Some people fret and stress, and you don't want to mess this up. My great-grandfather's name was Adam, and his last name was Schlader, S-C-H-L-E-I-D-E-R, something, I don't know what it was. But we kind of like the name Slater, and so we thought about naming Skyler Slater Adam, kind of reversing that after his great-grandfather. Didn't know about that, and then I had a buddy, he called me, he said, hey, I was reading Louis Lamar. I think half the kids are named after Louis Lamar books, but I think the Sackett series or whatever all that stuff is. There's this guy, his name was Tadam Chantry or something, and I said, okay. I said, I don't like Tadam that much, but Chantry I really like. So we were thinking about Chantry. And then we were looking through stuff, and I apologize. We were watching a, a musical or something. I don't remember what it was. I think Guys and Dolls or something, but Sky was the guy's name. And he would just, I thought, I like that. That's a tough name, Sky. So we named him Skylar Chantry. Didn't want to mess him up. About 90% of the time, I think we, maybe we did, because every time we, Skylar, okay, what's her name? No, it's a he. They always ask me her. But along with naming your kids and however you did that, my mom spent too much time. We're all MJBs, the girls, we all MJB, and there's six of us, and the boys have two syllables in each name. The girls have three in their first, one in their second. I, she, I don't know what's wrong with her. Anyway, so I, where she got all those names. But, but along with all the names, there's, you, you have nicknames. Different nicknames reveal different things about your personality. Different things about, uh, Skylar, bless his heart, he's had so many nicknames growing up. You used to call him Rat Boy. Because all babies look like rats. I know yours don't. I know yours don't. But call him Rat Boy for a while. Call him all these names. I call him Skillet. I have no idea where that came from. I call him Skilly Will. Call him, the only one he said, Dad, stop it. I call him Sister Sky. He didn't like that one. <laughs> I said, Dad, I'm serious. Don't call me that. <laughs> yes, sir. 
But the levels of relationship you call people certain names. Times I'll call my wife baby doll. Nobody in the building better call her that. You don't have that relationship with her. You understand? So that's just different. It's our relationships. It's who, it's who we are and it's who all these things. And so it's significant. These nicknames reveal something sometimes about us. When Jesus looked at Simon, remember Simon, the one I preach about sometimes that I have a trouble with because he just ADD and drives me crazy. I'll go with you. No, I won't. I'm going to run. I'm going to cut somebody's ear off. No, I'm not. I'm going to scream through the, um, and scream through the woods and get away from you and through the garden. No, I'm going to do that. No, I'm going to do this. And just constant. Jesus looks at him, says, I'm going to call you Peter because you're a rock. Are you looking at the same guy the scripture talks about? He's a rock. He's one, let me out of the boat, let me out of the boat, let me out of the boat. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat. Oh, help, help, help. Oh, let me in the boat, let me in the boat. It's like, come on, Peter. Oh, he's a rock. Are you sure? But Jesus saw something in him, and when he stood up with those 11 on the day of Pentecost, he really didn't care what anybody thought. He had the keys to the kingdom, and he preached with boldness. He was a rock called James and John the sons of thunder. I can imagine they were some rambunctious guys. Those new names revealed the God-given potential that he saw buried beneath the personality, buried beneath what everybody else told you, buried beneath how the world has treated you and has nicknamed you and told you who you were. God sees you, the true you, what a moment that will be when he says my correct name. And I hear it. But think of this also. Who are you is not where it ends. You have a massive impact on people following you. Generations had come and gone. David was a different, distant memory. More than five decades after the death of David, God established King Asa. Can we read it? First Kings 15, four and five. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, comma, save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. But you have to understand something about these verses. God did it for one reason and one reason alone did he turn Jerusalem and set King Asa and turn those people back because for David's sake. That was long removed and that was dead and gone for a long, long time. Yet his legacy lived on. Sometimes the blessings we enjoy are not anything that we have done. They are a byproduct of somebody who was praying generations ago. My destiny is linked to my parents and my mom getting up at four o'clock when the house was halfway quiet for once every morning and pleading the blood over her children. 
My legacy is tied back to my grandma Bland, who's 97 years old, and she just finished reading her Bible through for the 47th time. And we've got a picture of her when her church, they gave them, they give all the sick people, they take little blankets and things to them, and she's praying over those blankets, asking God to tie. That is my legacy. Well, the reason I'm here is because, you know, I'm, well, I'm pretty smart and I got a degree and all that. The reason I'm here is because grandma and grandpa Sims prayed over me. The reason I'm here is because grandma Bland prayed over. The reason I'm here is because mama pled the blood over me is the reason I'm here. What a legacy. But here's the thing about that. I get to do that too. You don't think that God is answering prayers that some of the founders of the United Pentecostal Church movement prayed and God is still answering their prayers. This is not just some moot thing that we do. It's just not something that we just go through some motions. This is a powerful thing because we are the children of the king. And when we're in tune with him and we pray those prayers, we can pass on a legacy that will outlive, way outlive us. And great things can happen. I know when we talk about, sometimes we talk about the legacy of parents and grandparents and all those. Some people are like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want any of that. I don't, they, they've done that here. Let me, let me help you with that. Because if you're a child of God, you're part of the family of God. You may not have known, but there have been prayers prayed over you from people just simply praying over this city, asking God to touch hearts in this city, and God is touching you because of their prayers. All the promises of God are yours and you can claim. And for the record, when Asa was set up, he didn't act like his dad because the Bible says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. God set him up as his great, great grandfather, David. Those generations, the Lord saw through that and his legacy continued. David served God's purpose in his own generation, but you have to understand he did more than that. He left a legacy for generations to come, including the son of David, Jesus Christ. So here, let's sum this up. Okay, we're out of time. Fulfill your unique destiny. And when you do, your destiny turns into your legacy that outlives you. This journey of self-discovery reveals more than your destiny. It ultimately reveals your legacy. It's what you leave. It's what you've done. It's what will outlive you. It reveals more than what you remember. It reveals how you will be remembered. And this again, ladies and gentlemen, let me just push on you just a little bit. This is not a passive process. I was just accidentally, I was accidentally a good guy. No, you made your mind up. It was intentional. Ultimately, your destiny is determined by your decisions 
It's your actions and reactions that are going to define you, that are going to take you into your destiny. And you're not defined what you've done wrong. You're redefined by what God has done right in your life. And his mercy and grace is covering all of those things. The point being is that you are made in his image. You are uniquely his. And we need to follow that in his image. We need to follow that according to what he has placed inside of us. Because when we do it correctly, we can not only have just what is here and now the blessings of God, but those can be down for generations to come. God will answer prayer for generations past us. There comes a moment in every life when you have the opportunity to step into your destiny. How does it start? By sitting before the Lord and asking, who am I? And he'll answer that for you. And you can be walking in destiny that he has prepared for you. Let's all stand in this house. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and to this church. We are so indebted to so many people. Lord, their legacy still lives on here, and I'm thankful that they were faithful, that they followed the way that you wanted them to go so that we could have what we have now. But help us, Lord, to continue that. Help each one of us to understand we are uniquely yours. We are unique in and of ourselves. There's nobody else like us. It's not a, a proud statement, but Jesus, it's a statement that we need to do our part. We need to do what you've asked us to do. And so, Jesus, I pray that each one of us in this place would be quiet at some point and we would sit before you in your presence and we would ask this question, Lord, who am I? You reveal to me who I am. You tell me who I am, not what others people have said about me, not the, the, the things that people have jeered and mocked or put me down or made me feel uncomfortable or, or made me feel bad in any way. Jesus, I pray that you would take those all away because we're made in your image. You are our heavenly father. You tell us who we are, Lord, so that we can find our destiny in you. And we know it's going to be a wonderful thing. And ultimately, someday soon to see you face to face. What a great hope we have, and I'm so thankful for that. Bless each one in this place. I pray that you'd help us to have a wonderful evening and the remainder of this week, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.